Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. My name is Josh Lyons. I've been listening to Hardcore and Punk since 1995. I have book shows, put out a fanzine, run a record label, and now I'm doing a podcast. This is the Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Welcome to episode 43. As always, you can find the podcast on the web at enterprisehardcorepodcast.com. Check us out on Instagram, Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Uh, the Rochester City News Best of Rochester uh, contest ended. I'm, I'm still not really sure who won. I, I kind of have a feeling this other podcast won, but uh, I do appreciate everybody supporting the podcast either way. And, and like I said, we're going to do something pretty cool. Uh, I had said I was going to do it if we won, but now I'm thinking we're going to do it either way. I've been talking to some people, so I'll, I'll be uh, spreading some good news about that in a few weeks. Uh, a bunch of cool episodes coming out. Uh, like I said, just keep an eye on the website and the pod, or on the Instagram for the podcast. So today's going to be kind of fun because uh, most of these episodes have talked about like mostly mid nineties and late nineties, hardcore and like early two thousands, hardcore. And my guest played in like a lot of local bands that kind of, you know, bridge the gap for those years. And he's also been living in new Orleans for close to uh, two, 20 years. So I'm sure we're going to get some pretty cool stories out of that. So uh, I guess with all that being said, how's everything going for you tonight, Dan? Pretty good. Pretty good. How you doing? Uh, pretty good. Like I said, uh, it's kind of up and down with the kids. I'm kind of like a stay-at-home dad now, Monday through Friday. So it's, uh, you know, run a rough shot, kind of. <laughs> Cannot relate to that at all. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's weird because I had gone through, like, most of my life thinking I wouldn't have kids, and then we decided to kind of late. And yeah. it was easy having the one, but now that we have two, it's like a real juggling act during the day. Uh, and today was like the first real tough day, and I, I kind of failed the test, but we'll uh, we'll see how next week goes. <laughs> okay. Always tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, we're going to be, like I said in the intro, we're going to be talking about the bands you're in and, and life in New Orleans and stuff like that. But I guess we'll kind of start from the beginning and talk about your upbringing first. Uh, basically, I, I grew up in uh, Clifton Springs, New York, a tiny town of about a thousand people. Uh, in the Finger Lakes area, kind of near Newark, uh, or, uh, Newark, Canandaigua, Geneva area. Yeah. Tiny, tiny town. Is that the town where the gym class heroes are from, or is it one of the towns near there? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's somewhere around but, there. but Yeah, there was another band from Clifton that came after me, and I can't remember the name. Cast Aside? Yes. Yeah, and that, and that bass player from Castleside ended up being in gym class here, so I'm guessing it's either the same time. Oh, or all right. Time okay, together. that makes sense then. Yeah, and there was another Castleside in Virginia, so that was always confusing yeah, too. Yeah, but... Yeah, I would actually, I remember one time walking around the neighborhood hearing them practice in the barn. And, yeah. Yeah, so excited. The, the bass player was always cool. I don't think he was in gym class here as like when they really blew up. Uh, so I, I, I never booked gym class here. I kind of had a couple opportunities early on, and I was yeah. like, that seems weird to put that on like a hardcore or emo right. show. All these things that I turned down, looking back on, I'm like, man, that's crazy. Yeah, why not? It's music. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I guess speaking of music, like growing up in Clifton Springs, like what were your kind of musical interests like before you found punk and hardcore and stuff? Uh, I think a lot, a lot of people our age, I inherited my parents' record collection. So it was, you know, the Beatles, Rolling Stones, you know, pretty run of the mill, top 40 classic rock, I guess. And then I guess uh, the hardcore and punk started, I could pretty much pinpoint it to... Oddly enough, started with the Beastie Boys. Uh, it was uh, Christmas of 1986. I'd gotten licensed to Ill uh, as a Christmas present. And my birthday was a few months after that. 
So I had birthday money and I'm at the mall and uh, I saw Beastie Boys Pollywog Stew. So, you know, even though it was my first album I owned was Licensed to Ill, I had to be a completist right then and there. So I pick up Pollywog Stew. And as I think most of us are familiar, that's not a typical Beastie Boys album. And it just, I was in, I had to have been in sixth or seventh grade and it just blew my mind. I'd never heard anything like it. And that's all I wanted to listen to. Yeah, it was, yeah, kind of life-changing. Uh, yeah. That's my favorite band. So, I mean, I could do like a separate podcast about them, obviously. I mean, I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not like a nerd, like knowing like all their vinyl presses right. and like shit like that, but like their music right. and, you know, I don't know about you, but like, like hip hop and rap's obviously something I love too. So uh, I'm not a hip hop person, just, I don't know. Yeah. It, it, you know, I kind of graduated into hardcore and punk rock or started yeah. in hardcore and punk rock with that yeah. album. Yeah. And then I remember uh, our middle school library had like a, a Rolling Stone, like encyclopedia of music. And there was like the punk rock section and it was all like, you know, fast beats, loud guitars. And then it was like Sex Pistols. So I get a Sex Pistols album. And I'm like, eh, it's something, but it's, this is not what I'm looking for. And then fast forward, I, you know, somebody mentions Minor Threat and Bad Brains. That's what you want to listen to. So then I get those albums and I'm just like, yeah, this is what I've been looking for, you know. And then a little later in life, a couple, like a year or so later in high school, probably 11th grade, had a friend from uh, Newark, New York, you know, carrying on the theme, a guy by the name of Jake Marsh, who, uh, who one day said, you know what you need? You need a little New York hardcore in your life. And he gave me a, a mixtape on one side was Shelter, uh, Attaining the Supreme. And the other side was uh, Sheer Terror, Just Can't Hit Enough. And uh, been off to the races ever since, basically. Yeah. That sounds like a pretty good way to, to start the, the path. There's one thing you, you said that I don't want to gloss over, though, that, that's never really been mentioned on here that definitely dates the thing you said, uh, the, the Rolling Stone, uh, like encyclopedia. Yeah, yeah. And, and when I was in ninth grade at Aquinas, now, in retrospect, that's one of the few things I can say that I took from that school, uh, not physically, obviously, but like I remember right. like mentally uh, in the library. I went through the same thing. I went through like the encyclopedia. I remember looking through like the clash and like all these bands. Yeah. And like, oh, yeah, shit, yeah. This is punk rock, you know, and. Yeah. But then a lot of times it led to a lot of disappointment. Like I was like, oh, they described the Ramones one way. I listened to the Ramones. I'm like, that's not loud and abrasive. That's not fast, you know, and it just. Yeah. yeah. So I just kept digging and digging. Yeah. So now shelter and sheer terror i guess was kind of like your introduction to like quote-unquote real hardcore right at, at that point did you kind of just start digging for like records and tapes and stuff or like uh at that time uh the same friend jake he just basically just he's like oh now you need sick of it all now you need chromax now you need agnostic front now here's slap shot and you know he basically just gave me his tape collection so it was it was pretty easy <laughs> so this like to and this is like late 80s, early 90s then, or? This is going to be like 90, 91, 92. And yeah, I guess right. like how soon did like shows and stuff fall into the picture after that? Honestly, I, it's, I can't really pinpoint it either. The first hardcore band I saw was Foundation opening up for the Dead Milkmen at U of R. Or I'm, it might have been Moment of Truth at uh, Club X uh it's it's one of those two i can't remember which one but i do remember being moment of truth and being like oh there's a local band doing this awesome yeah 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 as we'll get to later with one of your bands that was definitely my, like my introduction to the local scene too so that's kind of cool that 
you know, we have that. I'm sure a lot of people have that in common too, that that got into hardcore around here in the nineties, you know? Yeah. Cause it was all word of mouth at the time. It wasn't easy to find it. There wasn't, unless you saw a flyer, you didn't know when there was a show. Yeah. And I, and that's another thing, like for people who aren't listening, obviously Clifton Springs, like you said, it's a small town. It's, it's, it's close middle to of nowhere, but not that close. Yeah. It's kind yeah, of far there, away. There I was probably the first hardcore kid to come out of Clifton Springs easily. <laughs> that's, that's crazy to think of. And then to think again, like when, when people are actually like to look at a map and see how far away you were, like with no internet, like to find shows oh, yeah. and stuff and then to have to find the next show and to keep coming yeah, everything back. Was word of mouth. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, pretty crazy. So like, what were some, I know you're saying moment of truth and foundation, like what were some early shows that like really kind of stand out that made you realize like, I want to start going to this kind of shit more and more, you know? I think I actually started playing in bands before I started going to shows more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, I might've kind of done it backwards. I was always going to see local bands. I was, uh, me and a friend would go to uh, like Bosco's Bombay Bicycle Club and some of those downtown clubs two or three nights a week just to go see local bands. You know, every genre of music, just, just to see what was out there. Um, it, I didn't really start going to hardcore shows on the regular until I started playing in hardcore bands. And the, and the first, well, actually, I guess you played in a few bands uh, that, yeah. I, that, I, that I'm familiar with early on. But the first one I'm not really as familiar with, but I'd heard the name and remembered it when you told me. Um, yeah. So High Voltage <laughs> Kleenex. High uh, Voltage Kleenex, yeah. yeah. How did that all come about? And I guess kind of put a timeline on that since it's like the first one, too. Yeah, that had to have been, I graduated, uh, and I, I think it was 94 that I did that. Um, I was going to uh, Finger Lakes Community College. and. Uh, some of the guys that were in the band, they're originally like a high school band from Fairport with some guys. I guess like when they graduated, they broke up. But then when they all kind of started college again, they decided to get the band back together. Uh, and they just, they needed a guitar player and a bass player. Uh, so they had asked me to do it and asked if I knew any bass players. And I, I did. So, yeah. Yeah. And what was... That, well, I guess the one thing I never really knew is I knew that I know, you won't forget the name, but again, it was a little before my era. So what was the music yeah. like for this band? It was kind of like a, a dead milkman style, just kind of cheesy three chord punk rock. And uh, uh, we had actually recorded a demo at uh, Watchman Studios uh, at the original location when it was in uh, Doug White's parents' basement. And I'll never forget that uh, Lethargy had recorded there the week before and he had played us the tapes and it was all like live one take. And obviously we know lethargy, it's amazing stuff. And then my band's in there doing, you know, jangly little uh, punk rock. It's a little embarrassing. <laughs> I almost wonder if that's what became uh, what's known as the, the red tape. Like lethargy had like a cassette tape that floated around for a couple of years and it had like all the really classic shit that ended up going on that it's hard to write with a little hand or whatever the fuck it was called that CD. Yeah. That might have been the session for that. Or was yeah. the, the album cover with the guy jumping off the building, maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, yeah. I definitely saw those guys a lot around that era. I'm, I'm assuming yeah. they probably yeah. did, too. Or... Yeah, quite a few times. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's another, another musician we're blessed to have uh, been around for many years, Eric Burke. You know, I mean, I guess you're in New Orleans now, but, you know, you were around for the, the years. Oh, yeah. I've, 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 I've run across, like, the Mastodon guys. I've waited on them and stuff. And, uh. I remember asking Braun one night, I was like, just please tell me, why is Eric Burke still in Rochester? And all he could do is laugh. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. You always, you know, he's, he definitely had the talent to be in, you know, I mean, he's done some cool shit too, obviously. Oh, he's absolutely, but like he should be a household name. Yeah. I mean, you I was, know, 
you know he is here <laughs> but, right 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 but like yeah yeah i know what you're he's saying an amazing man yeah were there any like notable shows uh for high voltage or was it more just like kind of building your reputation around town and kind of getting used to playing in bands I, and stuff, basically I, the only one i could really recall that stands out was we had played the abyss which was in downtown on like the second floor and the only reason it stands out is because a, a, a girl that was friends with a band uh, worked at a hotel and she was able to get us cases of Kleenex. And in our show, we just whipped boxes of Kleenex at, at people in the barn in the club. And then there was two cases of Kleenex all over the floor. Yeah. That was about the highlight of that band, I think. Yeah. That's a real high voltage Kleenex, I guess. Oh, I mean, edgy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. I guess I just missed that era. So when, when did that band last? Probably just like a year or so? or Yeah, just, well, they, they did the thing. Uh, I guess I should go ahead and uh, just point out that uh, the bass player that I brought in uh, was John 25. So I, it, we, when him and I started writing more music for the band, we obviously just kind of started writing more hardcore stuff. And apparently they didn't want to go that way. So they did that whole thing where they told us the band broke up. And then like three months later, they had a show, <laughs> but John and I weren't obviously at the show. So yeah, yeah that was kind of unceremoniously uh, fired, I guess. And so does that kind of lead right into initial doubt then or? Uh, pretty much. Yeah. So what happened there was uh, a guy that I went to college with, who I think was also Brendan Poray's neighbor that gave him like his first hardcore mixtape. He, uh, he, he was in one of my classes and he was, you know, he knew I was a hardcore kid and liked hardcore. And he's like, well, I work with this guy, Chase Pickin, who goes to St. John Fisher that wants to sing in a hardcore band. I got to link you guys up. And that was kind of, that's the genesis of it. You know, uh, Jason Connor was the singer. Uh, John 25 played bass. And a guy by the name of Eric Kirkendall uh, from Dundee, New York, uh, played the drums. Now, I don't, I don't have the flyer with me. I told you I was going to uh, have some flyers handy, but my son uh, just fallen asleep, and I remember that's where I keep my flyers yeah. now, of course. But I'm sure if I tell you the show, you might remember. It was one of – so that, that goes back to, like, me telling you that Moment of Truth was, like, kind of one of the bands that introduced me to, to hardcore in Rochester. Yeah. I had seen them, I had seen them in, in 95 because, like, I, I, my sister kind of knew one of the people in the band. So that was, like, she took me there for, like, my first hardcore show. And then yeah. I remembered who they were. So they were playing with you guys in 96 and it was moment of truth, initial doubt. I think Shotokan ended up opening before they were called Shotokan. It was like anal muscle rips or whatever. It was above yeah. club Z um, unity who ended up becoming sinker. They played too. It was like a local show. It was like okay. five bucks. Um, I wish I had the flyer, but it, I think that was all the bands. I want to say it might've even been a CD release for moment of truth's CD, but I could be wrong about that. We definitely played that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we played up there a couple of times. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah yeah that's another pl thing i don't really think i've talked a lot about on this podcast that was pretty cool to have here was like that that loft venue up there above oh above it was amazing yeah it was like a giant clubhouse yeah. yeah yeah it was a real cool place for shows um and there was an elevator it was nice <laughs> yeah i remember when uh i don't know if you were at that one king down show where the amp went through yeah, the window or whatever window. yeah I I know that at the end, Vogel wanted uh, Despair to play in that elevator or whatever because they didn't want them to play upstairs anymore. And everybody was just kind of, <laughs> that's not going to. I remember that's being like 16 too and just being like, this is crazy, you know? Yeah, nuts. And the thing is, I, you know, every time I'd seen One King Down, I, my biggest complaint was like, why are they stacking everything on top of each other? They don't need yeah. to do that. Yeah. And yeah. 
Um, so I guess that's kind of a good question too. Like kind of while we're talking about initial doubt and canvas, like, are there any like mid nineties, like standout shows around that time between like here in Syracuse? Oh man. Just, I mean, just, you know, uh, all the, uh, like New Year's day matinees in Syracuse, you know, seeing, um, Snapcase doing like the, the steps release party, uh, sick of it all at the lost horizon, you know, before even, uh, scratch the surface came out, like just, just absolutely amazing, just amazing moments, amazing shows. I think one of my favorite shows ever was, it was in Buffalo, it was Sick of It All, Strife, uh, Union. It was Rob's first gig with Union. And I think Buried Alive opened the show. It was their second show ever. And that was like, to this day, that's, to me, that was probably like the, one of the greatest shows I'd ever been to. Yeah. Sick of it all was always good live too. Like any era, I feel like, you know, oh, and, like, yeah, yeah. I haven't yeah. seen them in a long time. I booked them and I feel like I might've seen them a couple times after that, but that was years ago too, but I'm sure they're still, they're still kicking around live, you know? So. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The other, another big standout was the one in Syracuse uh, where it was, it was like vision of disorder, Marauder, crown of thorns, mad ball. You know, it was like, the, I think that was like the first show where it was like all the New York heavyweight hardcore bands just, yeah. Is that is that the one that Twenty Five to Life played too, or no? I think they did. I didn't really want to bring that up, but yeah, I think is they that, did. Well, because I'm thinking about something that might have happened at that show. I don't know if we're allowed to talk about it or not. I mean, I could always edit it. Is that the show that I'm thinking of? What uh, Jody got stabbed? Yeah, 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 yeah. I I didn't yeah. go to that show, but I remember the next day I ran into Heavy on like at like Park FS, or he's telling me about. It. I was just like shocked that something like that happened at a hardcore. Oh yeah, it was fun. It was fucked up. Yeah, it was a, the sluggers. It just started putting the boots to him, and then he got fucking stabbed. And I just remember him, like, taking his shirt off and just being like, I got fucking stabbed. <laughs> of all the people, too, you know what I mean? Like I, he was... I got in one of the kids' faces. I'm like, he's like, fuck that metalhead. Fuck that long-haired fucking... I was like, dude's like the nicest guy on earth. I'm like, yeah. and he's fucking metal than you are. Like, yeah. So crazy. That same mentality came around, like, seven or eight years later, and it was the same kind of shit. Like, they would just beat up kids who, like look like just, they weren't hardcore kids you know yeah, yeah and that's the thing i was like fucking jody's like old school like yeah man it's got long fucking hair and he fucking smokes weed who gives a shit yeah, exactly well yeah that, that was the whole thing with the, the straight edge crews back then too I, I feel like people are older now so maybe it's a little different but uh yeah you know but it was yeah it was crazy back then and I, you know, there'll be another funny uh, Rick to Life story later on. I, I haven't told yeah. it on the podcast before. I want to make sure I tell it when we talk about something sacred. So, yeah. Um, oh, another standout was that first uh, Path of Resistance show. That was. Oh, you were at that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is that, that was, um, is that, was a New, that was a New Year's Day show too, right? I th- it might have been. It might have been. Yeah, I, yeah, that was just absolutely insane. Because I mean, it was, people came from all over the world for that. That was just, yeah. I'd never seen anything like it. And that's, and that's more of like an era where people didn't really travel around from all over the world. Like they do now for like festivals and shit, you know? Right, right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. And Syracuse, I feel like was one of the first, obviously you're saying with path of resistance, but like, I feel like earth crisis, Hellfest, like they were, it was such an influential uh, place for, you know, hardcore. I mean, the fact Uh, is that 20 years later, people still wax poetic about it. It's, you know, Hardcore shows, you know, a Sunday matinee in Syracuse in the 90s is fucking legendary. They're announcing the New Year's Day show uh, the next couple of days, and, and I can't wait to see the lineup because I imagine it's going to be crazy. Oh, it's, it's got to be insane, yeah. considering and is back together. <laughs> yeah. What, um, 
Any anything noteworthy with uh, initial doubt other than what we already talked about? Uh, a little sidebar is um, so we had a friend of the band, a guy by the name of Tall Ronan, who's originally from Rochester, uh, kind of old school hardcore dude. He actually he uh, is now like a world famous uh, vegan chef. He's got a couple of cookbooks out, and uh, he owns a, a vegan restaurant in L.A. Uh, with one of the guys from Blink One Eighty Two. Uh, it's called Crossroads Kitchen, but Early on, he was just—he was a fan of the band, and uh, he hooked us up uh, with recording. I think he paid for our demos, and like he did all our artwork and everything for us. Yeah, and That's it's just crazy cool. now. Like <clears throat> now, he like cooks for Ellen DeGeneres and and yeah. Oprah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fuck Ellen, though. Uh, yeah. There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of yeah. <laughs> uh, so many people falling by the wayside. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's, the, it's the age we live in, you know. Nobody's yeah, nobody's yeah. safe. <laughs> I know. She's one of those people, though. My girlfriend will watch the show, and I'd be looking at that. I'd be like, "Yo, there's something about her. She seems mean or something." You know. Psycho. Yeah. yeah. I guess you got to be you. You got to be crazy to be to be doing that life, though. You know. So. Yeah. And be as successful as she is. Like, there's yeah. bodies buried somewhere. Yeah. It has. They have. Uh, I mean, you mentioned it with the, with the her being vegan. They have. They had a chef, and we have a cookbook that that he wrote that's got some pretty good recipes so yeah yeah she's at least done one good thing for my life i can't complain you know too yeah. much <laughs> it is funny um, though ironic he was like back in those days he was a terrible cook so it was just kind of funny <laughs> oh man i guess i should have stuck with it then i might have you know i mean yeah. I, I still cook around the house but i never really i always wanted to like do like a real cook thing but i was like i'm not i'm just yeah, not, like, not grasping this uh, as well you know no but he, uh, he is a person that he is a person that uh 25 years ago convinced me to go vegetarian and it's it's i've stuck with it so it's you know over half my life so so did just you and john end up uh starting canvas then or was there more people from initial doubt than that too no it was just me and john and it was uh honestly it was it was jason Medoro from uh building on fire was pushing us to do the band because he wanted to be in a band yeah so he he you know was convincing us and uh the drummer chris Dahl wasn't really a hardcore kid he knew like minor threat and bad brains stuff like that but he just you know he's a he was actually like a techno industrial dude but he happened to play drums so and he looked the part so that worked out yeah yeah, yeah. and then, uh jason Medoro, uh another friend of ours dan clark singing as well so we're doing the dual singing thing uh 25 on bass me and then uh chris Dahl. we did that for a little while i, th- I only think we only played like one or two shows with that lineup and then we had gotten booked to play uh, Jim Callahan's house, the Overdale house or whatever, whatever it's called. And I think it was, and Kindles were coming through and we had played with them with initial doubt with like guilt and stuff. So we were all excited to do that. And about two hours before we were, sp- an hour before we were supposed to get on the road, uh, Medoro called and said that they weren't gonna go. They just, they didn't want to play the show, so. Um didn't you guys end up playing that though or did you because i yeah, know we, you guys yeah, played there a couple times me, me and john decided like well fuck it we called uh jim callahan he's like he's like no you guys are coming up and playing we'll just find somebody to sing for you and, and that's basically sings? yeah yeah he sang a little bit yeah we basically just handed the mic around to the crowd while we played yeah and I, I think it was, going, it was going pretty well until i think the house next door caught on fire or a few few doors down caught on fire yeah. i think it was that and then it cleared out the room and then that was that. <laughs> there was a lot of, uh, 
I mean, we can't talk about much about that house on this podcast either, obviously. But that that show we can because that there wasn't too much of that. Uh, I feel like that there wasn't too many other bands on that. I I I definitely was not. And Kendall's wasn't my my style at all or anything. No. You know, no, no. Seemed like nice enough guys or whatever, but just yeah. not my uh, not my yeah guy or whatever. Yeah. But. So then after that, we we picked up another guy, uh, bless his heart, James uh, James Roberts, not a musician at all not really music musically inclined at all not that any of us were but him especially so so you know we i think we played a few shows with him and that that was it um the most notable show would be uh opening for converge in uh buffalo with strong intention that was you guys played yeah. that I, was that was yeah that, was that the weird converge show that got like moved around or whatever or am i thinking of a different one i don't know it's uh a couple months ago hate five six put up video of it oh really and like Jason Maduro in the front singing with Converge, yeah. and it was it was surreal. It was it was kind of surreal. to this day. I I just be like, oh yeah, I opened for yeah. Converge fucking twenty years ago. I never knew you guys played that. That's crazy, man. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I think it was uh, Steve Titus put the show on, and <clears throat> John Twenty Five uh, managed to to get us on the bill. So yeah, yeah it was yeah, very Titus, bizarre. Titus was a real real good dude. Still is. I haven't talked to him in in years, but. You know, yeah. I, I saw him probably five years ago at the Judge show. That's probably the last time I saw him in Buffalo. Any other? I what, what was the show I'm thinking of? You guys played at Ellison Park. Uh, I want to say maybe Earth Mover and Dead of the World. Maybe that might have been something sacred. I don't think that was Canvas. Well, I feel like it would have been because Earth Mover was like '97, '98. But maybe I'm thinking of uh, maybe you guys didn't play that then. I know there was yeah, maybe- some show because didn't Canvas cover Agnostic Front? I feel yeah, like yeah, like, yeah. Because we did, we 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 covered Agnostic Front Initial Doubt, and it was just we'll just do it in Canvas too. <laughs> Why not? I probably must not have known the AF song when I saw Initial Doubt because I definitely remember a Canvas covering it. Obviously, because I remember. Okay. I yeah. feel like I saw it at Allison Park Lodge, but maybe I'm, you know, maybe I don't, a long time. You yeah, know, twenty five years. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, that band basically fell apart when uh, twenty five. Uh, just start. I he he was in Break the Dawn, I think, and it was one of those things where he like he never told anybody in Canvas. He was just like in a new band, and that was that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I don't. Uh, you guys didn't do anything noteworthy. Like, were you guys? Was there any recordings with Canvas? I guess like any demos or no, not really. We recorded some stuff like in a basement on like a four track with basically like Radio Shack mics. Um, I have the tape of it somewhere. It's pretty much unlistenable to at this point it's just degraded so much yeah uh, it, uh, it wasn't my work it wasn't it was me trying to write like converge acme types you know noisy stuff and it's just that's not who i am that's not you know that's not how i think so you know i we tried but yeah what so it was a couple of years in between playing in bands then right you didn't do any more bands yeah. until something sacred yeah. you know it, it got to the point where it's like just the politics of everything and the, the, the hierarchy and the uh, holier than thou, you know, it's just, yeah. I was getting kind of tired of it. Yeah. Like I just wanted to play, I just wanted to play music, play shows. I was, I wasn't about the politics of everything. Yeah. No, I, I hear that. And that's kind of why I stepped away from doing shows later on as we'll talk more about that with something sacred. Cause I obviously yeah. did some shows for you guys, but before that, I, I remember before I really knew you, I worked at uh, Don and Bob's 
uh, on Monroe Ave, like, you know, near 12 corners or whatever. So yeah, I'd yeah, go to yeah, Lakeshore, yeah. I'd go to Lakeshore all the time, like on my time off or like breaks or yeah. whatever. And I'd see all the hardcore records there. I'm like, yo, who's stocking all this shit? You know, yeah. and then Brendan eventually hit me to the fact that you work there. Yeah. But uh, how long did you do that for? I Man, I don't even know. I worked there for, I think like five years, maybe six years. Yeah, yeah. When, when I got hired, uh, one of the first things I did was like, I started seeing all the distribution lists and everything. And like a central media distribution list came in. I was like, oh, can we order this stuff? And he's like, yeah, sure, man. Just put me, put together an order. I was like, oh, hell yeah. So then I just started, you know, from there, I started trying to get more and more hardcore in there. It didn't really sell very well in that store, but, you know, I at least was selling some of it and getting some of it in there. One of the first things I did was get on the line with all the reps. Like, you know, like even like uh, Kevin Gill, SFT, Trustkill, like Equal Vision. I just, I'm like, oh, I work at a record store now. I'll just call all these reps. Send me promos. <laughs> yeah. And, then, you know, victory, everybody. Yeah. And now speaking of victory, uh, when Brendan was on the podcast, he told this story too. When I, uh, again, working at Don and Bob's, I had been riding my bike. I don't know if I didn't have to work for a couple hours or what it was, but I was always riding my bike around there. And I saw the yeah. van with the trailer hitch outside Lakeshore. I'm like, yo, that's got to be a band. I know Vanilla Ice yeah. is playing at, at Water Street tonight. So I thought maybe it was even Vanilla Ice, you know, because he's not fucking torn in a bus by that <laughs> point, you know? Right. So uh, going in there, I see Brendan in there and I'm like, oh shit, you know? And that's when I started to realize it's probably Scarhead. So take me, take, I'm guessing you probably had the, was it, was it you I, that kind of set that up or? I absolutely had nothing to do with that. Uh, oh. It was funny. I walked into work one day and uh, my coworker, Tom, uh, rest in peace, He's just got this big shit-eating grin. He's like, you know that band Scarhead? I was like, yeah. He's like, I booked them for an in-store. I was like, what? Why? And he's like, well, they're coming through. They're coming through with Vanilla Ice. And he's like, I know you like all the Victory Records stuff. And, uh, you know, the rep called. So, yeah, I said, well, let's do an in-store. We'll have them play in the store. And I was like, nobody's going to be here. Like, also, like, this is a store. You can't have Scarhead playing here. And I just remember, like, having to get a PA, having to get like all that. I'm like, this is, this is a waste of time. And uh, yeah, they showed up and it was basically Brendan and me. <laughs> and like, I, I was there for five minutes and then I realized they weren't playing. And I saw, I think Jim Callahan might've walked in at one point too. And that was maybe, probably the turnout for that show. Yeah. Quote unquote. Yeah. You know? And my, I remember my boss being like, no, you got to get them to play. You got to get them to play. I'm like, they're not playing, dude. They're not playing. Like, let's get them some beer. Let's get them some sandwiches. <laughs> like, let's at least feed them. Maybe something like, else for you. I like. I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed, and, and like, oh, and, and the worst was I remember, Ezek, because uh, they were all started just shopping, and I remember like ringing Ezek up for a bunch of Atlantis Morissette CDs, and I was crushed. <laughs> that New York hardcore documentary was delayed by so many years. You probably hadn't seen it yet. I'm sure you've seen it by now, where he talks about not listening to hardcore and liking the cranberry. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. But because I, I was, I remember, I think I remember ringing him up. I'm like, really? And he was just like, yeah, man, I like everything. Like, <laughs> Christ. But it was like, talk about like, don't meet your heroes, man. Fuck. Yeah, Alanis Morissette, too. Like, you couldn't have like any Lennox or some shit, you know? Right. right. Worst of the worst. Yeah. Fuck. Um, now, so obviously there's a couple year gap where you kind of, I know, you know, there's, we're kind of dancing around the issue, but we're, we're not trying to talk too much shit on this episode. Um, right were you still kind of keeping tabs with the hardcore scene for those couple years, like in Rochester before something sacred or 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would kind of, you know, keep my ear to the ground and stuff because I like it more the uh, aggressive, chunkier, you know, hardcore. And obviously Rochester at that time, there wasn't anybody really doing it. So, you know, I, did, I didn't really care too much about the local bands, but I would still go to like shows in Buffalo and Syracuse and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Oh. Uh, and it, sorry. No, I was going to say, how did you, if you, and if there's something before that, but I was going to say, like, how did you start meeting Aiden and all those guys, like, to start doing I, something? Honestly, the first time I, I met Aiden was at Lakeshore. He came in, uh, I think he had just moved to Rochester a few months before and was all sweaty and out of breath and uh, <laughs> was telling me that he used to be in a hardcore band. I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. Sure you were. It, oh, you're a tattoo artist, too? Sure you are. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, so he would come in the store every once in a while, and then, uh, I think I linked up with them through Brian, the drummer. Uh, I'd actually gone seen them at the Penny Arcade. Might have been like the second time they played there. And uh, I guess Brian had said they were looking for another guitar player. So I just kind of put my hat in the, my whatever, hat in the ring. And yeah. When, like, so when did you actually like join the band? Because I know like the Penny Arcade show, I think would be the one that I booked with uh, Grade and Reach the Sky probably. Um, unless there was another one. Do you remember like... What's that? That might, yeah. Because yeah. I, because I'm, I, yeah, I couldn't remember when you actually joined the band. I was, that at that time period is kind of foggy for me too. I guess, I, like I, like I told you, I posted that flyer, so I know I was going to mention that Desperate Measures show in the Java's yeah. basement. Obviously, you would have been in the band by then. Right, 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 right. And yeah. there's also the infamous uh, Twenty Five to Life, uh, no show show. Were you in the yeah. band for that or? Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. You ruled out for that. Oh yeah, good times. <laughs> oh shit uh, yeah yeah no something sacred was that and that's and that's and that's the time it's it's you mentioned that because there weren't too many bands like that in rochester before and that's definitely what opened the door for like more bands like obviously bar time started with some of those guys and then we had don yeah. and now we got the weight we carry but before that you know there wasn't really too much in rochester that was like that you know yeah yeah not nothing at all other than like like you know moment of truth uh pro that's probably about it yeah yeah as far as like like obviously there's a ton of metal the rochester's yeah. always had a ton of metal yeah, and more no. like crossover yeah. type stuff yeah as far as just like kind of straight new york style hardcore yeah yeah i mean moment of truth is kind of uh, waving that flag again now i guess you could say too yeah but i mean especially i'm more talking like that era i hadn't like from like 97 to when you guys started, you know, and I always talk and that's kind of what made me want to start booking shows too, was like most of the shows here. Like I like some of that stuff, but I prefer more the same, like the, the more hard. And like one of the things that kind of attracted to me to the scene in the first place was like the kind of unsafe, like there could be a fight, somebody, yeah. you know, dangerous. Yeah. yeah. And I'm yeah. not saying not to take anything away from kids who got into it another way. But for me, that was just kind of, I think it's more like growing up where I did. I was like, I like this kind of shit. Yeah. A little danger sprinkled in. Yeah. Yeah. Makes it a little more exciting. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, Hey, I, I was at that integrity show. That was fun. <laughs> that was kind of like the first thing where I was like, I mean, we got out of there when the shit really started to hit the fan, but even afterwards I was like, yo, we need to go to more of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just, yeah. I remember like prior to that, like six months, maybe, maybe longer before that, going to see Life of Agony at the Penny Arcade and all those dudes showed up and I'm just like, and it, it didn't go, you know, like those dudes hung out and were like zig heiling this band that are like 
it's a bunch of fucking Italian guys that are, you know, the lead singer is now a, a, a trans woman, like yeah. terrified of these guys. And then, and like everybody else in the club tolerated that stuff. And I was like, oh, well maybe this isn't so cool. And then, you know, at that integrity, integrity show when like everybody in Rochester like stepped up, I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. I want to yeah. be part of it. Yeah. yeah. It was, that was, that was a really crazy summer. Cause like, I'm only like 16. So I wasn't really getting in the mix too much, but like they, I remember like, there, there was a more shit was going to go down a few other times. You know what I mean? Oh like, yeah. There, yeah. There was definitely other shows where. That, like, that first you know, Gnostic front show in Showplace when they, after they got back together, I knew the uh, promoter, I think his name is Artie. Yeah. And I remember talking to him like the next day and he was just like, dude, we confiscated like baseball bats, machetes, knives, yeah. fucking tire irons. I'm like, another, fuck, dude. Another early memory, and it's not as much hardcore, but there was hardcore bands. Uh, Warp Tour, I don't know if that was, I want to say it was 97. There, I don't know if you were at that, but there was a lot of them got their asses handed to them after no, that. No, uh, I remember seeing like, yeah, they, like, they tried to drive away and their car got fucked up. That, yeah. We were parked, we were parked like three or four cars over. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah I was in that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I had seen yeah. some of them like crawling out while they were getting their asses kicked, and then we were trying to drive out, and I'm like, "Yo, what's that noise?" And we got out, and they literally—I'm not going to say who it was, but uh, it was people we were talking about earlier. They—they they were just like literally like, just smashing that car, and then somebody else told me they saw them in Burger King afterwards, just like covered in blood, and I was just like, "Eh, that's that's what you get yeah. for being that fucking scumbag," yeah. you know? So wonder where they are now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, any other? Any other? Uh, uh, memories from something sacred before you uh departed for uh new orleans or Nolans, no, I, I guess. obviously the the uh rick to life uh mix up was fun uh it actually turned out to be at least an entertaining trip you know we you know it's, it is what it is uh i had forgotten you weren't in the band at this time but i've never been able to tell this story here so i'm going to tell it real quick when i booked uh come and correct with something sacred yeah. Um, well, first of all, I lost my tooth at that show, which I've told that story a number of times. So I'm not yeah. gonna tell that again. But I had come back to the show with like half a tooth, and I saw like half a come and correct set, and then I don't know where they were staying that night, but like some people I was friends with, uh, Dom, Dom, who actually runs a whatever thirty eight nine or whatever the fuck oh, records. Yeah. He he played bass for them uh, on that tour. So I I went oh, to yeah. dinner. I went to dinner with those guys after the after the show. It was like Ruben from Buffalo, Don, okay. me, Rick to life, my girlfriend at the time, <laughs> and we went to Mark's Texas Hots on Monroe Ave. You're familiar with that place, obviously. Oh uh, yeah, right? I love that place. Yeah. Yo, you ever seen anybody order a full steak meal there with like no. a one sauce and everything? Guess who did? Yeah. Rick. Oh yeah, and he went up and, and like he went up there and complained about something, and then he took his like not waiting for the waitress he took his cup and like shook the ice and walked up to the fucking counter like i need more drink or whatever oh, like yo man. where's this dude from what is this fucking guy you know like fucking holy anger. shit yeah. yeah so i mean obviously you know we've come to realize you know i mean that dude's got mental problems though so you know oh, he can't, literally you know. yeah yeah but, but you know that, yeah that was still that was still you know an interesting and obviously i think everybody who was around in the mid nineties has at least one wreck to life story. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. You know, when they, I remember them playing that, playing that church uh, in Rochester, the same one that they like integrity fight happened at and Rick like selling bootleg cassettes of Rochester bands on like Madonna tapes. And we're just like, what the fuck dude? <laughs> like the guys in the band are right over there. And I you know, how, I wonder how many like records he had, like how oh, many, geez. you know what I mean? How much such shit he bootlegged. Oh, you know? so much. Yeah. 
I was at that show too. There was only like 50 people there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Did that was I couldn't remember. I don't know if you remember this. Did Stigmata play that? I, I don't know if they played that. Did they Stigmata played that church? I don't know if it was that show or not. Because I couldn't. It I was talking to Jim. I was talking to Jim when you played with something sacred. I was like, I can't remember if I saw Stigmata or not. Because I because I didn't really like as much of the Troy Core stuff back then. I love a lot of that stuff now, but no stuff definitely it's aged very well. Yeah. yeah. And I'm yeah. glad like the young kids are kind of rediscovering it. Because you yeah. know, they uh, I don't think they really got their due at the time, but yeah. yeah. And I don't know if you fuck with that newer band, God's Hate, but they uh, they kind of pay homage to the Troy Core sound pretty yeah. well. So um, if you haven't heard that LP, I definitely would uh, check it out. Definitely check it out. I have a funny New Orleans story to tell later, even though I've, I've never really been there. I lived in Houston when I was a kid, so I, I kind of might, okay. might have been there before, but this is, I'll tell that later, but... What what kind of made you like want to go down there? Though? Like, did you have connections down there, or did you just decide you wanted to live down there? Uh, I, I've had a friend that I, uh, you know, became a guy came friends with like when we were 13, 14 years old in high school. He had moved down here, um, and uh, I visited a bunch of times. And on one of the visits, you know, I met somebody, and you know, we hit it off, and I just kept coming, you know coming back and forth and visiting a lot. And finally I was just like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to move, you know? And it, you know, it kind of sucks. It was kind of just as something sacred was kind of starting to gain some grounds. I mean, even to this day, I kind of like, man, I wonder what would happen if I just stayed and stuck it out. Like, well, you know, but it is what it is. Uh, yeah. And I just, uh, upped and moved, sold that, a bunch of shit. I'm sorry. That? Is that how borrowed time? I mean, I'm not borrowed time. Is that how something sacred broke up then? Cause we were talking about that before. We couldn't Pretty really remember. Fun. I, me me leaving town they kind of yeah. just decided to there were some personality issues and stuff anyway so it yeah. probably wouldn't the band probably wouldn't have held together too much longer but so then you went down uh to new orleans i, I think if i remember this is like 2002 right 2002 yep november of 2002 and uh now like, I guess, take me, take me through it. Cause like, I've tried going to a different place before too. And it's, it's gotta be pretty crazy. Like going, especially from a small town to a big city like yeah. that. And then like moving. Yeah. There, you know, uh, I, I had lived in Rochester for a few years uh, prior to moving to new Orleans. Um, but yeah, it's a total culture shock. You know, basically I sold my record collection, put some stuff in storage and, you know, packed some suitcases. Uh, I checked a, my half stack on the airplane, Marshall cabinet with a Mesa boogie head. That was my checked, ba uh, checked baggage. And yeah, I moved into a, a one bedroom apartment in the middle of the French Quarter that I shared with my friends. Uh, it was an absolute shithole. <laughs> Just fucking disgusting. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was, uh, lived there for like a year. Uh, huge shock, huge culture shock. You know, everything's different in the South kinda. You know, it's, it's a lot hotter here, obviously. Humidity is a lot. A lot more uh, critters, a lot more critters. Yeah. Now, Total kind critters, of critters, you mean like vermin, like rats and like crazy? No, no. You know, like little lizards, uh, uh, metal bugs, which which most people call cockroaches. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, those are there. Uh, yeah, just, yeah, little things. Yeah. We had these like leopard slugs, I think they're called, on the, okay. on the wall of my house. I, I was out like smoking a blunt a few weeks back and I had seen one of them. And I kicked it out of the way. I was like, fuck this thing. I don't care if I'm vegan or not. Like, this thing's fucking gross, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of days later, that thing, like, morphed into two or whatever the fuck. There was two of them crawling yeah. together on the wall on the outside, the same place. I'm like, yo, 
these things are like haunting me or whatever. I didn't touch them that night. I haven't seen them since, but that kind of shit freaks me out, dude. So I can't imagine yeah. like being no, around. That, that like, apartment, we actually had a slug problem where, uh, yeah, you'd, you'd like go into the bathroom and in the bathtub, there'd be like a dozen slugs all just chilling. Got to the point where like we're, we're sprinkling salt around the doorways and stuff. And it, you know, just tell people, oh, no, this is like a, it's a voodoo thing. It's not it's not because we're disgusting and have slugs. No, this is a voodoo thing. <laughs> yeah, I would. I don't know. Like that's and that and that like, oh, my God. I, let's. So when did you start? Like, what was the first uh, kind of gig you got down there? Then was it was it were you doing the bartending thing right away initially or uh, my first job was actually I, I got a job at a Virgin Mega store. And for those not familiar, it's basically 10,000 square feet of media just cds books vhs dvds yeah three stories yeah it's massive how long massive. now was that something you kind of just did because you had a connection from having worked at lakeshore before or you just yeah, like it was like the first job application i'd filled out when i got to town i was like well yeah i you know worked at record stores and you know everybody that that worked there dreamed of working in a small independent record store and me coming from one they were just like oh we want you know like <laughs> they idolized me <laughs> Did you get to make any sort of like connections locally or did you meet any cool people working in that store, I guess? Oh, no, yeah, there's definitely, there's a group of people there that I'm still friends with. Uh, one guy, he's, uh, he works on movies and TV now. He's like all over the uh, NCIS New Orleans, you know, behind the scenes, like uh, uh, production assistants and stuff like that. Um, but that was an interesting, interesting job because everybody in town would, would, would come through there. So there's, there'd like always be celebrities. There'd always be like famous people like, Oh shit, there's Ethan Hawke. Like there, the Jennifer Love Hewitt's like looking for shit over there. And it's uh, because I was like one of the only part-time employees. I was basically there nine to five Monday through Friday, which meant I was there every Tuesday morning for the new releases. And uh, when he was in town, Trent Reznor would come in every Tuesday morning to get all the new releases so seeing him like once a week for like a year kind of build up a rapport with him and like it at one point i saw him walking down the street and he said hi to me and i was just like oh this is too fucking weird <laughs> like Wait, so many other people give a shit but i was just like eh. i'm kind of baffled by that though like he was just coming in and buying like a shitload of new releases oh he bought all the new releases all the hip-hop all the metal everything he would just buy everything that came out that week like Comedy if there was like if there was like say 28 new records he would buy 28 records that day then? maybe like 14 but yeah yeah crazy there, there was one time he came in and he was he bought the entire cure catalog and i was like hey man not for nothing couldn't you just call robert smith and have him sing you the songs over the phone and he just said, he thought that was hilarious. He's like, no, I'm actually, these are, these are a Christmas present or birthday present for somebody. <laughs> that's cool. I mean, that's just crazy. I can't, I can't imagine like even being in like, I guess, well, I guess there's two ways of looking at it, but I was thinking more like being in performing so much music, you wouldn't want to like be buying and being around like records all the time. You know what I mean? But I guess yeah. there's the other end that you love it so much that it's just, yeah. you know, you're immersed. Such a fan. He was just such a fan of everything. Yeah. 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 That's, that's crazy. Um, yeah. what, um, like, have you like been like, do you like check out like a lot of shows down there and stuff too? Or like, like, for, like uh, I mean, there's, there's not a lot of, there's almost no hardcore that comes through here. There has been in the last few years, but like the first 10 years I lived here, there was, there was pretty much nothing. You know, I remember going to see full bone chaos with like a high school ska band opening up for him. <laughs> 
for like 15 people in a rec center. And I was like, man, I just seen them playing Buffalo to, you know, 300 people. This is insane. Yeah. But yeah, almost most bands don't come through down here or they skip New Orleans. Yeah. And what about all that? Like, you know, down Phil Anselmo type shit. Is that shit popular oh. down there? Oh, hundred percent. hundred percent. I mean, cause they're all from here. They all yeah. hang out here. Yeah. Uh, like, Mike Williams, the lead singer of I Hate God, like he used to live across the street from me. Um, and then when I moved to apartment after that, the guitar player for White Zombie lived across the street from me. Um, you know, I had nights after I worked, worked at the Virgin Megastore for like a year, year and a half is when I started bartending. And uh, I was working a lot of graveyard shifts in the quarter, which is like the midnight to 8 a.m. And it was the spot I was working at was kind of like a locals only, well, not only, but, you know, predominantly locals. And we had a, a kitchen that was open late night. So like when there was metal shows at House of Blues, a lot of the local guys would come over to the bar. So it's like, I would have like all the guys from I Hate God, you know, half the guys from Down, all the guys from St. Vitus, you know, like all the dudes from Crowbar, you know, in the bar at four in the morning, singing along to the Misfits, like at the tops <laughs> of their lungs, just getting annihilated. And I remember one night I was wearing like an all out war shirt and the bass player for uh, Down was like, oh, I've heard of those guys. Don't they sound like Slayer? And I'm like, well, yeah. I'm like, you want to listen to them? They're like, yeah. So then I'm just playing like my entire like hardcore mix for like all these fucking sludgy metal dudes and they're fucking yeah. loving it. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like some of those dudes from what I know like listen to hardcore and stuff. I, uh, oh, I don't pay as yeah. much attention to that scene. I used to listen to Down, but some of the shit Phil Anselmo has said and done over the years is, you know. Oh, 100%. <laughs> and like I know people that, like I know people that have known him from back in the day and they're like, oh yeah, he's always. Yeah. He, he's, what he, he's what you think he is. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, like I've seen I Hate God so many times and I've never really liked them, but yeah. it's just, they're always playing. Like I, I once saw him play on a sidewalk in front of a tattoo shop in the middle of the day. Like, yeah. They, <laughs> to like, um, to, like, yeah. Yeah. They played here with the Cro-Mags, like the JJ version of the Cro-Mags, like four years ago, maybe five. Uh, okay. But I didn't stay. I, I, went, I went and saw Cro-Mags and I left. <laughs> so yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I I don't mind. I hate guys. I just never really, never really got super into them. But you know, that was the thing. Moving here is like going to shows. I'm like looking for hardcore bands and like just other hardcore kids. And it's just all the sludgy metal, headbanger shit. And I, one of my the first like metal show I went to uh, when I moved here, it was a guy knew his band was opening up for Cannibal Corpse, and he's like, he knew you know he knew as a hardcore kid. He was originally from uh, Rhode Island. And so he knew all, he played in metal bands, he knew all the hardcore bands and stuff too. And I'm like, well, does that, like, does anybody, like, are there any hardcore kids in the city? He's like, nah, pretty much not. And I'm like, well, what would happen if at your show, like, I just started, like, like picking up change and, and windmilling and, and throwing kicks and punches? He's like, you'd probably get your ass kicked. But <laughs> he's like, but you know, we're covering a Slayer song. He's like, why don't you just do it, like, when we do the cover? And if anybody fucks with you, I'll, I'll stop it. And I, so they were covering Slayer and it got to like one of the breakdowns and I just fucking like cleared the pit and fucking went nuts. <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget after that, this one dude who, who just recently passed away, he was kind of like the staple of the scene. He just came up to me and he was just like, holy shit, were, were you just hardcore dancing? <laughs> He's like, where, where are you from? Like, and then he was just, it was just like 20 questions after that. Yeah. Have you seen this band? Have you seen this band? You've seen Earth Crisis in Syracuse? What was that like? <laughs> you know, like, that yeah. it's just crazy. 
crazy. Yeah. It's like you're from another country to them or something. Oh, man. yeah. It was so important. And he, he, all he wanted to know was like, what bands have you seen? Oh, my God. What are you doing here? Yeah. Like, are you playing in bands here? Yeah. That's crazy. What Now, talking about moving down there, like, obviously, we're going to get to these stories now. Like, was a concern, like, like, because whenever I talk to my girlfriend about in the future, like, moving to other places, like, one of the places I'd like to potentially move when we get older is, like, California. And she's always like, ah, there could be an earthquake. So, like, a natural disaster is obviously a big concern moving to New yeah. Orleans. Or do you say New Orleans or New Orleans now that you live down there? No, 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 no. Please don't ever say that again. It's New Orleans. <laughs> it's New Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> when I worked, I worked at Ruby Tuesday for, like, nine months. And we had this, this fucking guy who had lived in in North Carolina for a while and he transferred up there. Like when you work in yeah. restaurants like that, you always get people that transfer from out of state for some reason. Oh and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Something you, you can know. do anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So he, but he was from North Carolina and every time he would call over in New Orleans, he'd be like, ah, New Orleans. Now, how the <sighs> fuck they say it? And I'm like, I never heard anybody else say it like that before, but I wondered if, if anybody really does. New Orleans are like the old folks will say New Orleans, yeah. which is kind of, but like older folks will say it that way. But yeah, just, just New Orleans. What, yeah. um, before you like moved there, they're like, what did you think about the hurricanes? You're like, ah, this should be all right. It's no big deal. Or you know, it crossed my mind. I was more concerned uh, with the crime and the violence. Because at that point in time, in 2002, in my lifetime, I can't remember a major hurricane, you know, hitting the Gulf South, let alone uh, New Orleans. Um, but yeah, that all changed. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that 2005, uh, like being, I actually was on an airplane. I, I went to Minneapolis for a trip that day. I remember them talking about it in the airport, like how crazy the hurricane was going to be. I, I thought they were talking about a movie, honestly. I was like, there's no yeah. way something like that's going to happen in the U.S. So you were obviously there already when Katrina hit then. Yeah, yeah. So I moved here in 2002. Katrina hit uh, uh, August of uh, 2005. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, you know, were you living somewhere where you, like where things got pretty fucked up, obviously? Or like how... Well, eventually, I mean, so at that point in time, like we had stayed for a few days and uh, after the hurricane, well, uh, when they shut the water off in the city was when we decided to evacuate, which was probably about three days after Katrina. Um, where I had been living was pretty much untouched. Um, the French border was pretty much untouched. And like, you know, a couple neighborhoods were pretty untouched. What happened to me, though, was uh, so we had evacuated after like three days. Um, I'd stayed in Greenville, Mississippi for a few days and then flown up to, to New York, went and stayed with my mom. About seven or eight days after Katrina, uh, my house burned down uh, on national TV. <laughs> CNN covered it. And it happened to be um, Mike Williams had lived across, Mike Williams, again, lead singer of I Hate God, had lived across the street. And uh, the fire had originated in his house. It was a uh, Section eight house. And uh, you know what that is? It's just kind of low income housing. And uh, from two different people I knew that were on the scene, a firefighter and a police officer, they said it was a junkie couple got in a fight and the, the girlfriend put the, the dude's clothes on the bed and just lit everything on fire. I'm not saying it was Mike Williams' girlfriend, but I'm, you know. Guessing. It could have yeah. been, yeah. yeah. And it burning down uh, 13 properties, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, because the, the, the water was off in the city. So I'm literally watching CNN and they're scooping water out of the Mississippi River with a helicopter and then dropping it on my house. Yeah. Oh, that's really crazy. Yeah. Um, well, I feel really kind of 
like a dick telling this story now even because it's more just like comic relief that has nothing to do with anything but I, so trust 2000, me, I, i've dealt with that trauma i i can take the jokes <laughs> well 2005 i uh uh, I had I had not I had only been straight edge for like a year or two like in the in the mid nineties but around two thousand five I really got more into the hallucinogens and yeah. uh, I had taken some acid and gone to a party like a week after Hurricane Katrina and I remember yeah. like tripping and my buddy took me in there and, and there's just like five or six people around and they started talking about something and immediately I interrupted the conversation and I'm like yo. We got to get down to New Orleans. I'm going to ride my bike down there. We're going <laughs> to fucking fix this shit. And I don't know, man. The next day, my buddy, I, I woke up and he's like, yo, what do you think? You still want to ride your bike down there? I was like, fuck no, dude. We could do like a benefit show or something, which, yeah, you know, I'm sorry. We didn't do it, but, you know. You could have been here by now, man. Come on. You know, um, but there's been like, so this year, the hurricanes were bad too, though, right? Yeah, yeah. We just, uh, today's like the one month anniversary of Ida. Yeah. Yeah. So how, like, how often is it? It's not, it can't be every year that the hurricanes like are that, you know what I mean? Like how many times? No, um, this is, Ida is the first one, I think since Katrina that actually like hit New Orleans. There was one last year, the year before, no, like two years ago that hit St. Charles, Louisiana, which is closer to Texas. Um, and you know, that place hadn't even remotely recovered from that when it got hit again with Ida, but it's, it, it's every few years. I mean, it's, there's always tropical storms. There's a, you know, there's always a lot of like close calls. Uh, you know, it, it's part of living here. We all know eventually the city's going to be wiped off the map, but you know, it's, it's, it's a waiting game, I guess, you know, that's like some escape from LA shit that you just said right there though, man. Yeah. You know? It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no, and but come to think of it, though, like we all know it's going to wiped off the map. Like I'm not trying to get too political, which maybe we no. will during current events. But uh, yeah. some people might not believe what you just said there, though, about right, that. Right, you know right. I mean? Well, you know, I hate to say, it, but I mean, there's already parts of Louisiana that are being wiped off the map as we speak. Yeah. I mean, there's parts. It's a month out, and I I can go an hour west of here, and they still don't have power. Most of their towns are leveled. Like it's it's the reality. That's crazy. Um, the Gulf Coast is very susceptible. The oil industries have wreaked havoc for, for decades. Yeah. Um, they've destroyed our coastal wetlands, which are like the buffer between the Gulf and the land. Those have just been destroyed by the oil companies. You, yeah. you go out there, you go into like the Gulf and stuff and you just, you just look out there and at night, it's just oil rigs everywhere. And it's like so much of Louisiana's economy is oil based, but the money doesn't stay in Louisiana. You know, Exxon's not reinvesting in Louisiana. They're just taking the money and running. You know, the, the BP oil spill, which was, what, 10 or 11 years ago. That was, that was fucked up. You know, like, people still, like, haven't gone to jail over that. It's, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, that's one thing I don't ever really think about, I guess, living up here. You don't think about the, how crazy the oil shit is down there. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. I, I had a buddy who lived, who, like, worked with me in a restaurant. He went down there and worked down there for, like, ridiculous amounts of money for, like, six months. But I was like, yo, oh, you're going to die. Oh, you know yeah, it's good mean? money. Like, Fucking cancer out the ass. Yeah. And there's like, New Orleans is surrounded, like, it's like 20% of the country's oil and gas is refined here. Like, so, you know, Louisiana is just covered in refineries and we have crazy amounts of like cancer alleys and stuff. It's just, yeah, they basically yeah. rule the state. Yeah, that that's, Codex got nothing on that, you know? <laughs> no, no. That's crazy. That, that, 
after the after the uh, BP oil spill, we were about a month after that. We had down we were down in Grand Isle, Louisiana, which is kind of like right near where the oil spill happened. And it was like we were on the beach, and it was like two or three in the morning, and we just saw like chain gangs of prisoners uh, following dump trucks with sheriffs on horses, and they were literally just covering the oil with new sand, like in the middle of the night. So like the next day I went out on the beach and dug down like two feet and it was nothing but oil, just nothing but oil. They didn't clean it up. They just covered it up using prison labor at the same time. Like, yeah, I mean, Louisiana is the prison capital of the world, uh, you know, and we still have like the old school prisons and chain gangs and stuff. Well, I mean, that's, I guess, again, getting into the South more. Yeah, it's it's a whole nother fucking lifestyle down there. You know, I will say all honesty, I do see more confederate flags and trump stuff in new york than i do in louisiana really yeah. wow yeah i mean 100%. when i go for if i go for a bike ride like out like to like the sticks like you know what i mean like past the yeah. city limits you'll see it a lot more and like the i don't know if you see them down there like the the gun the gun banners or whatever too oh yeah all that stuff yeah yeah I know. Um, you were telling me about, uh, I, I got no idea where, where, where you're going with that. You were saying something about performing in Mardi Gras and, uh, a couple other yeah. things. Yeah. So like one of the things I, I don't know, I thought you were going to bring up other musical exploits because I haven't really made any music, uh, since my house burned down. Cause like all my music equipment was in there. I lost it all. And I just never, you know, really, you know, got around to it again, but I did do this thing. It's hard to explain. We have something called like Mardi Gras cruise which there's some have been around for a hundred years. Some have been around for a couple months. It's basically, you just get a group of like-minded people together, come up with an idea and just Mardi Gras day. You like go out like uh, there's a, there's a, the crew of Dwayne, which is like 30 guys that dress up like that, that picture of the rock where he's got the the black turtleneck and the gold chain and the fanny pack. There'll be like 30 dudes, just 30 dudes all rocking that. Or you have some that uh, like the baby dolls, which have been, Baby dolls have been around for like over a hundred years and it's black women that dress up like dolls. And it's that it was them kind of protesting a uh, hundred years ago, like the rich white guys would fuck them and keep them as girlfriends, but they wouldn't go out in public with them. So they're like, Oh, we're just dolls on the shelf. You take us down and play with us when you need them. So for a hundred years there's yeah. So we, we did this thing called uh, the Noisition coalition, which was basically we were, described as a post-apocalyptic marching band uh, rolling down the side of a hill. We had no conventional music, uh, no conventional instruments. Everything was like circuit bent, homemade, drums made out of garbage cans, drums made out of uh, of pots and pans, and uh, something we did for like almost 10 years. And we actually got like booked at festivals. Uh, We got booked in the Mardi Gras parades, the big giant ones with the, you know, humongous floats did that quite a few times but then we got booked for the kennedy center in washington dc which was it was booked as like a a night of new orleans music and we kind of like opened the show and and to convey how ridiculous it is the instrument i played was literally just sirens i took a bullhorn circuit bennett modified it so i could play it almost like scratching a record or almost like uh tom morello from rage against machine doing guitar solo I could, you know, I put an effects loop in it and stuff like that. So I'm basically just playing the sirens in the Kennedy Center to people in like tuxedos that paid $2,000 a ticket to be there. And I'm fucking hungover as shit. (laughs) And it's just, 
one of the most surreal experiences of my life. Yeah. And uh, some of the other performers were um, uh, Big Frida, which I don't know if anybody's familiar with her, New Orleans bounce artist. And if you've seen her stage show, it's a lot of ass, just a lot of asses bouncing uh, to people in tuxedos. Yeah, it was, yeah, something I'll never forget. Uh, it sounds kind of like my old experimental noise band, uh, Gastrointestinal Atrocity, that you're uh, doing something yeah. similar to there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you still do that, though, or is that more kind of like in the past now? No, it's kind of in the past. We kind of gave it up. We just kind of got old, you know. Was there Did a it name for, for it? or Like, the, the band was called Noisition Coalition. Oh, uh, you said that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but we didn't have any actual songs. It was basically a fucking drum circle with a bunch of, like, cool costumes and stuff. Because we had all – the costumes were you just had to wear red, black, and white. There was no – you couldn't wear blue. You couldn't wear green. But you could be anything. If you wanted to be a red ninja, you could be a red ninja. If you wanted to be a gorilla in black and white, you could just be a gorilla in black and white. Yeah. Now, uh, you were referencing being hung over there, uh, and you told me you're, you're doing the bartender thing, but you also told me you're, yeah. you're living more of a sober life now. Now, yeah. was there something that kind of led to that, or was it just kind of... Yeah, it was It was kind of a, a come-to-Jesus moment. I, uh, you know, been bartending for close to 20 years, and picked up a little bit of a drinking problem, I'll say. Um, it wasn't anything too detrimental. It, it was, I mean, it was, but it wasn't. Like, I wasn't a bad drunk. I'm not an angry drunk. I'm not a violent drunk. Just kind of happy-go-lucky. But I was drinking a lot, an excessive amount. And then about five years ago, my father uh, had been doing, like, chemo and radiation for lung cancer. And I just remember looking at him on the couch and just thinking, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I've been living this life. I've got all these stories. I've done all the shit, but I can't remember most of it because I was drunk most of the time or all the times I just missed out on, on you know, just because I was hung over. And I knew eventually it was either I was going to keep drinking until it killed me or eventually I was just going to have to stop. There was no middle ground. I couldn't just cut back. It's as a binge drinker. Once I started, I just I couldn't stop. And I was, you know, drinking the blackout, you know, on average, three to four nights a week, you know, and then you just wake up and hair the dog, you know, and just you get caught in a loop. And in Louisiana, it's really easy. In New Orleans, there's no last call. There's no open container law. Like, Fuck. you can pretty much get anything you want any time of day, you know, if you know where to look for it. So I just, you know, I just was just drinking too much and just kind of wasting my life away and just made the, the hard decision that, like, today's the day yeah just gonna stop yeah that's, that's gotta be hard like being a bartender and saying that though right uh yeah but not for the reason you think like i so i'm was kind of the person that could i quit cold turkey and i don't really have the urge as long as i don't have a drink i don't want to drink but the minute i have one i'm just drinking all the drinks um my problem is is i, I am a bartender but i'm also kind of inverted introverted and shy and just like burnout so a lot of times what i would do is you know i'm not feeling it tonight so i'll just get drunk while i'm at work that way i'll be you know a happy fun guy so now it's just the hardest part of the job is pretending to give a shit <laughs> you know and trying to like engage people and and you know especially with everything going on it's just getting harder and harder every day to kind of just you know fake it you know yeah that's the hardest part of being a bartender that doesn't drink it's just it's not as easy to fake it yeah, I hear you though. I, I definitely uh 
you know, I won't go into detail here because I've talked about it on here in, in great detail in the past, but I've definitely had my share of issues with drinking. And I'm the same way though, where it was more of a binge thing. Like I, I, yeah. I haven't drank and I honestly couldn't even tell you the date of my last drink. It was well over a year ago. Um, yeah. And there's definitely been times where I've been like, the past me would have been like, yo, I'll, I could take a drink right now. You know, you right. know, I just, it's not something that I'm really trying to do. Right. And you know, I know, I know what it would probably lead to. So it's probably for the better, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, th- um, I think I've had still been drinking like during our, our quarantine in the beginning of the pandemic. I don't, I honestly, without like over stating it or whatever, I, I don't think I probably would have lived through it. I probably would have dragged myself to death if I'd still been drinking during all that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can, I, I, I guess I can't really imagine. That's why I'm glad I wasn't drinking to it during it too, you know? Yeah. Um, so I noticed you're wearing the uh, Bruiser Brody shirt and you told me yeah. that you've uh, gone to more wrestling than hardcore events recently. Yeah. yeah. Are you into like current wrestling or more like the indie stuff or both or? I, I like it all. I've always, I've been a fan of wrestling the majority of my life since I was a little kid off and on, obviously over the years and stuff. But yeah, it's, uh, I'm, it's, at least for the last 10 years, I've been pretty consistently a fan of all of it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I loved it in the 80s and the early 90s. And then uh, I got out of it for a few years. And then the, the, the Attitude Era brought everybody back into it. Yeah. And then yeah. I would check back in on it every so often. And now there's a lot of good podcasts where I like, I feel like I watch it, even though I don't. Like, I listen to the right. that's the, podcast. That's the, yeah, that's the best part. Because you can get every era. You can listen to stories yeah. from the 60s, 70s or stuff yeah. that just happened a week. Yeah. yeah. But um, I mean, I'm not going to turn this into like a, a wrestling hour or whatever, yeah. but what, what do you think is going to happen now? Do you think that AEW is going to catch up to WWF and it's going to like surpass them? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I think, I think they, obviously they have the talent to do it. I, I really think WWE is just kind of, you know, Vince is getting older. Triple H is getting older. You know, they're kind of, there's rumors that they're trying to sell it to Disney. I was surprised when they sold the network to Peacock. You know, I, it almost seems like they kind of want to wash their hands of it a little bit. Regardless, I just think the way technology is when the internet, like you don't need to be on a Monday night show to wrestle in front of a thousand people. You just need a YouTube channel. Yeah. You know, everybody can create their own content. Like I, the, the Young Bucks are a perfect example. You know, they got themselves over just with their YouTube series, you know, and it's, you know, you can do storylines on social media. It's great. Yeah, it's really crazy the era we live in. Like I said, I don't, I haven't really watched a lot of it, but I feel like I've been listening yeah. to uh, Jim Cornette talk about it enough yeah. for the last couple of years that I kind of know. Like he rails on the shit. I had like, to to him. That? I, yeah, but even the way he's talking about it now, I can just kind of see the way everything's going. Like he's been constantly talking shit about AEW, but now yeah. like, even he's like, they're yeah, better he, than WWE, whatever the yeah, fuck. Yeah, he like yeah, he loved the the Brian Daniels Kenny Omega. Yeah, he was just yeah. like this. The, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and and actually, it's funny because if we had a little bit more money, you know, we got the kids and stuff, so I can't really like be spending money like water. But AEW was actually here last night, like while we recording. I know. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you went. I had some friends that were going, and then yeah. one of the people I interviewed on a couple episodes back was actually handing out flyers for the promotion that he resurrected yeah. here, XPW. I don't know if you fuck with that at all. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was thinking about even hitting him up and to hand out flyers because he was going to give out free tickets for the XPW yeah. thing. But I was like, I don't have time to fucking stand outside the arena and hand yeah. out flyers. Fucking Andy Williams. Who would have thought in a million years? A million years. The yeah. dude that used to break up fights at matinees. Yeah. You know. He's he on was. Fucking- 
he was always a wrestling fan though because yeah like there was i forget what show it was it wasn't even every time i die it was sirhan i don't know if you remember them there was like a, sh- mm-hmm. a shitty band that him and Rampway played in before every time i die and we were at an auburn new york show like right outside of syracuse and right as we were getting ready to leave andy turns to me and he's like if i see you on the on that i-90 uh uh rest stop there i'm gonna do the i'm gonna give you a sausage drop and i was like <laughs> until this day even i'm like yo what the fuck and you think about it like this is something i brought up on here before which is i'm not trying to sound like an asshole but it's kind of weird that like we were like 16 at the time can you imagine being like 22 or 23 and saying some shit like that to a teenager like not like kids and i'm like yo it seems weird that like back then we just laughed about it you know but it seems weird like that it was like a humorous thing to say to a teenager you know what i mean shouldn't be saying that to kids yeah. yeah. So, I mean, obviously we live in a completely different era now, you know, yeah. but, um, uh, which speaking of which, I guess, do you want to, we are we're, we're at like an hour and a half now. Do you want to fuck with current events at all or? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. Blast through some stuff. What do you think, uh, about like the whole, like how, I guess, you know, you being a bartender talking about COVID would, would, uh, be a perfect thing actually. Like how has that affected everything down there and how, and how are they treating it down there? I guess too, with you being down in the South. Yeah, so right now in New Orleans, um, we still, in bars and restaurants, there's a mask mandate and a vaccination mandate. We have to make sure people are wearing masks. We have to check for vaccination cards. Um, Throughout the last year and a half, we've had different levels of quarantine. You know, we've been like 100% quarantine. Everything's shut down except for grocery stores. Um, Then they relaxed it to, you know, like 10%, 25% capacity. Bars could just serve to-go drinks. Um, so it, it's always come and gone and they, they've, they've, we've kind of, they figured it out by just watching the levels of the hospital When the hospital gets full up, then they add more restrictions. The problem is, is like New Orleans itself has been pretty good about following all the restrictions. It's the fact that we're in the Gulf South and it's like, we're surrounded by like Florida, Mississippi, Alabama, Texas, Arkansas, all these places and the rest of Louisiana that, you know, don't take it as seriously as they should. So it's just like, you know, we're doing good with it. And then the minute they open the city up to tourists, it's like we spike back up again. So, but right now they've announced that we're going to have like a, a Halloween parade, which will be like the first parade in over a year and a half in New Orleans, which I'm sure in Rochester, that's not a big deal. But in, in, in New Orleans, is a huge deal to not have a parade at least once a month, I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it's sad. It's depressing. It's, yeah. A lot of businesses are gone. Uh, a lot of people are hurting, especially you know because we are a tourist-based city. You know that's a large portion of the portion of the, the economy. And you know, I was speaking to a customer today. She she's a, a chef at a restaurant. She's you know it's September thirtieth, and she's only worked four days this entire month. Like there's just yeah. I mean, a lot of that's because of the hurricane. Yeah. You know, but yeah, it's a lot of people hurting, and, and you, you know people having the hurricane on top of the pandemic is like double PTSD for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine, man. Yeah. yeah. With, we, we, I, you know, the, the shit's pretty well opened up here. I've only been to a couple shows. I felt kind of weird and even yeah. still, but I, I honestly, I wore a mask for both the shows. There wasn't too many people wearing them, but I, you know, yeah. we got the little kid at home. I'm not, I'm not as much worried about her catching COVID as I'm worried about like her getting sick. So I'm right, honestly kind of, right 
as long as masks are still, we're able to wear them. I'll wear them for as long as I can to keep. Cause I, oh, I, love, you know, I love the fact that I can go to the grocery store and nobody recognizes me. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at first I was like, man, some people don't have masks on and then they look at us weird now. And I'm like, eh, well, it's, it's one less person for it, me to have to talk to, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Any, anything going on with black lives matter and stuff like that down there in the last like few months at all, or not, not in the last few months. Uh, you know, New Orleans is kind of where the, um, we were one of the first cities to start taking down the Confederate monuments um, with a group called Take Them Down NOLA. That was a few years ago. And I remember doing like one of their, I was involved with, I marched in one of their protest marches and it happened to be, we were taking down, uh, there's a circle in town called Lee Circle with the big statue with Robert E. Lee on the top of it. And uh, you know, the city was gonna take it down. So we were doing this big protest march and it's a big roundabout, big circle. You know, it's the, the road's going around it. And we the protest turns a corner and it's literally just, this is like 2017. So kind of the beginning of the Trump era, but it was straight up just like Klansmen, Proud Boys, like people that to this day, it's like, you know, you see them in the January 6th footage and you're like, man, I was standing 20 feet away from that guy, you know, a few years ago. Like this is insane, insane. And then like when the George Floyd stuff started popping off, you know, I did a lot of those protests here, but they, none of them really, there's only one that kind of turned violent with, with tear gas, but even that was over pretty quickly. I mean, the one thing like New Orleans police department does really, really well. Like the only thing they do really well is crowd control. So a lot of the protests, they just let happen. You know, they monitored it, followed it, you know, blocked off roads and stuff like that but for the most part they were kind of all right with it they let the people do what they wanted because they didn't they didn't want the violence yeah yeah i heard of a lot of well not a lot but at least a few cities where the cops were cooler like that obviously i'm sure you heard yeah. they weren't yeah. as cool they weren't as cool here in the beginning yeah uh, of not 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 the george floyd ones because i didn't really go to those as many because um again i didn't get too much into the um my my past with the the alcohol tonight but i i did have right. a, a criminal record that was uh being uh, sure. uh, sure. uh ending or i don't even know what the right yeah, word you, is but you know what? Was, yeah it's not on you you don't want yeah, to yeah so it ended yeah. like last summer though so I, I didn't go to those initial protests because i was worried that if anything happened and i got arrested that the connection you know so i waited yeah and then yeah. the daniel prude shit happened and i was like well now you know yeah. in addition to the fact that i legally was fine going i was like i have to go to these ones yeah. and yeah the cops weren't it's, as cool there though you know yeah, I, I think with New Orleans, when I moved to Louisiana in uh, 2002, New Orleans was 70% uh, black, 20% white, and I think 10% everybody else. And then after Katrina, it was more 60% black, 30% white, and then still like 10% everybody else. So like, I, I believe our police department is predominantly black. You know, most of our city government is predominantly black. So I mean, we have our corruption issues. God knows we have our corruption issues. But it's, it's rare that the cops are shooting unarmed people here. Um, yeah. It's happened. I knew, I, knew a, I knew a cop that did. I knew a cop that shot an unarmed kid and killed him. Ended up going to prison, but he only did two years for it. And I, it was one of those situations where I knew the guy before he became a, became a cop. And he was the fucking biggest piece of shit. Like, he was like, he was the, I, the day he became a cop, I was like, he's going to shoot somebody someday. And... Fast forward like three years later, he, he shot a kid and fucking, yeah. 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 That's, like, that's like one of those people that like you say, like those are the assholes that want to be cops because they're assholes yeah. or whatever. You yeah. Know? 
in the aftermath of Katrina, um, when there was a lot of law enforcement in the city for like a year, I met a lot of cops. I met a lot of law enforcement. I met a lot of federal law enforcement. And they're all pretty much the same. They're all just dying to shoot somebody. And it's fucking disgusting. I, I, I just want to say that I have said this in the past, too, that I do know, and I have not spoken to them since they've gotten involved with law enforcement, but I do know two people that actually were affiliated with our, our community uh, yeah. like, like about 20 years ago that are both involved in law enforcement now. And I, I'd really be curious, you know, I don't, I doubt, I highly doubt they'd want to come on here and talk about it, but right, right, I, would right. love, I would love to get their take on things yeah. though, because at least one of them is definitely not the type of person that you think of as like a cop or whatever. So I'm just, I'm, I'm not sure if that's why he became a cop to like try to change right. things or right. if there wasn't hey, any other jobs that, that, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I, 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 one scary thing is this reminds me, uh, pre-Katrina I met a guy that he had, Everybody's like, oh, you got to meet this guy. He, he's from Rochester. You must know him. He moved down here to be a cop. I meet the guy. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't work out for me in Rochester. So I, I came down here and uh, we start name dropping, talking. He's like, oh, oh, you know those guys in Moment of Truth? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know those guys. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I used to hang out with all those Slay Team guys. All the yeah. And I'm like, and my mouth, I'm just like, holy fuck. I'm like, and then, like the minute he left, I told every like everybody that knew him from here. That I was like, dude, that dude's a fucking racist piece of shit. They're like, no, no, he's not. What are you talking about? Like everybody he just listed off of was a fucking Nazi skinhead from Rochester. And they're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Jesus. But it, I, the story was that basically he get kicked off the force in Greece for excessive force, moved down to Louisiana and joined a police department that's pretty notorious for. It's it's not a New Orleans police department. It's like the the next parish over, which is the next county over for you, which are are just notorious for their racism and brutality. You know, and it's interesting that, that dude came from uh, Greece, New York, which is a suburb yeah. of Rochester, and yeah. uh, within the last ten years, that police department like got completely overhauled because of. And when I say overhauled, I'm pretty sure all the, if not all the cops, most of them got fired and or arrested because there was so oh. much corruption within their department. Yeah. You could look Good. that up. I mean, that's that's public record, obviously. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if you know since then if they've gotten better or not. I don't know. I still give right. those cops the same looks I give any cops. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, yeah. The thing is, like a lot of the cops I know here, they 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 all skirt the you know both sides of the law. You know. You know they they you know they look the other way when they need to. You yeah. know. Um. So there's a there's a topic on the podcast that Rob Antonucci kind of made a staple is is kind of making a Mount Rushmore for your city. Now, I was yeah. telling you before, since you kind of have lived in uh, two cities for kind of half uh, life at this point now, you could kind of yeah. cheat and, and do a combo or do one of each if you want. Man, uh, I don't even really do uh, – are you talking like just like a, a Mount Rushmore of hardcore like icons or – So it's kind of just like things that have been influential for you in your in your journey, I guess, of hardcore or of anything really. Like most people when, – when I initially – when Rob told, told me about the idea for doing it, I thought we were going to do like four – like a singer, a guitar player, a bass player, and a drummer, but I'm the only yeah. person that's ever done that because I'm a nerd. Like everybody else is like a uh, fucking uh, a venue, uh, a record store, a restaurant. A, a, uh, so, uh, Adam Whistler did four practice spaces a couple episodes back, you know? Yeah. And I was like, all right, that's cool. <laughs> you know? yeah. So I mean, I, you know, for like Rochester hardcore icons, I would 100% uh, Jim Callahan. I, I feel like he's somebody that had been there since the beginning and he's still doing it. You know, even when he doesn't have to, uh, I, I would say you because, you know, you were putting the shows on, 
you know, the rest of us were just playing in the bands, but you were the one making it happen. Man, it, I would put uh, Sheer Terror Just Can't Hate Enough on my Mount Rushmore. It's, I still listen to that album at least once a week, you know. Uh, yeah, man, I don't know. That's a tough one. I, I, I would say for here, uh, we this guy Hollis who just passed away. Uh, he was kind of like a scene icon. Um, they called him like the king of the underground. Um, he passed away from COVID like two months ago. And that's just like a huge loss for like the metal punk rock scene here. Um, but yeah, yeah, man, that's about all I got. <laughs> man, it sucks, man. Sorry to hear about that, man. You know? Yeah. Um, I was, I was still personally close with him, but he was one of those dudes that he's one of those kind of guys that if he met you once, he, he remembered you. So yeah. yeah. And he was always up front, no matter what band was playing. And he was a very, he was a very, very large black man and not like in a buff way. Hmm. So it, you would see bands come out and just be like, I remember uh, the John Joseph Cromags played here to about 50 people and Hollis was right up front and you could see John kind of want to like, who's this fucking clown? But yet you knew every word to every fucking song, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. He would surprise a lot of people. Wow. That's yeah. really cool. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't really have much else to add, I guess. Is there anything else, uh, especially New Orleans related or anything else that we didn't touch on uh, that, that we, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah, if anybody's down here and wants to ride bikes for excessive di distances, uh, hit me up. It's uh, what I do now. <laughs> I don't drink. I just spend my money on bike stuff and just ride, you know, ride long distances. Um, check out the Soul Rebels, which is the probably the greatest New Orleans band. Uh, it's a New Orleans brass band. You got to check them out. I know Jim's, Jim Callahan's trying to book them up there in the next month or two because they're they're on tour. Um, they're amazing human beings and an amazing band. Uh, yeah. We'll have to look into that. And obviously yeah. as always shout out to Jim Callahan, always a good dude. Uh, oh yeah. He, I, I, he'll, he'll come into town every couple of years for work and, uh, we'll link up and yeah, it's always nice. Always nice to see an old face. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I, I would, uh, I would just put sheer tear and Jim Callahan on that Mount Rushmore for the record too. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. But I, uh, there's other yeah. people in shows too. So, well, um, yeah. you, you did a lot. You did a lot, and and, and it's amazing that it's it, you know it's a form of music that's not necessarily commercially viable, but we've all been handing it down from generation to generation for what almost forty years now. Yeah, it's it's a pretty cool thing. That's. That's like what you just said there is pretty much the exact reason why I started doing this podcast too. So I'm, I'm glad you said that. I've never really, I've never really put that into words on the podcast before that obviously having kids now and it gives me a chance to look back on, you know, 25, 30 years of hardcore and thinking about them potentially getting into it. And it's, it's something I want to yeah. have as like a, a time capsule now. Like obviously I'm going to interview, you know, not just people from that era, but it's just cool right. to have like a documentation of, of stuff yeah like that, you know, I, you know that's, i think it's amazing like what the dude at uh hate five six is doing like literally just cataloging these bands that nobody's ever heard of and it's it's you know it's an art form that's you know very american and like i said it's it's handed down it's you we're not hearing this on the radio 
we have to search this out. We have to find it. And yet, like 40 years later, it's, it's still going. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. You know, it, it evolves and it changes, but at the heart of it, it's still the same thing. It's coming from the same place. I think that's a good way to close out the episode, man. Cool. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to do the interview. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thanks to Dan for doing the interview. Um, as always, shout out to Greg Benoit and Rochester Hardcore History for also helping document all this stuff. Um, shout out to my family and Rob Antonucci for all the help with the podcast. As always, check us out on the web at enterprisehardcorepodcast.com. Give us a follow on Instagram, Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Uh, new episode coming real soon. See everyone real soon and stay safe.